You are now tuning into Goddess Culture with Jordan and Shanice. Welcome back to episode 62 of Goddess Culture Podcast. We are back, okay? We are back in rotation, giving you guys what you guys want, which is a new episode. And we're um, excited to be here and to talk to you all. Yes, we hope you like the the week of programming that we had last week. Um, it was received really well. It felt good to see people like engaging and talking and joining lives and Zooms and um, our mini podcast that was happening all last week, which is why we didn't put an episode out then because we were giving you guys five days of content back to back to back. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, it was aggressive to say the least. We <laughs> Gave you guys literally not a five day week, but a seven day week packed full of events. Yeah, and we enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it's crazy when we think of like when we put these things together because like I think we brainstormed for like maybe like two hours, mm-hmm. and we had a theme and an episode title and flyers and literally everything like that within two hours. But that's also because you know we work in marketing and strategy and we do that in our normal day-to-day so it's a little easier for us but it's just so amazing to like watch an idea go from an idea into like a strategy and then into actually making it happen and then kind of watching it um looking back at it and I'm just like I was so excited and everyone did so great and thank you to everyone who co-sponsored who joined us uh with our really quick turnaround time who tuned in, who gave us feedback, who supported us. We appreciate all of you guys for everything because without you all, it wouldn't have been a success. But if you guys want to see more, you know, let us know. Whatever you like, let us know. Um, we, are all, we are super big on feedback. That was like our first week of virtual events ever, I yeah. think. Someone hit me up today like, hey, so the um, Instagram live mini podcast is at nine, right? And I was like, oh, girl, it's over. Sorry. (laughs) It's just last week. But maybe we'll do those every now and then. It seemed like people liked it and people were engaging in the comments. So um, maybe something that we revisit. As always, if you like what you hear, please comment, rate, and subscribe. Um, It helps when you comment, rate, and subscribe. it, It helps introduce our podcast to more people. Uh, more people who have the potential to love our podcast and to interact and to join our getaways and everything. Um, so we would so, so, so appreciate it. Um, and if you aren't there yet and you just want to pass an episode along, we appreciate that too. Um, this week we are doing a series, so we're jumping right into the news, and we're doing a series called Diary of the Culture, where we're taking um, impactful stories from everyday people and talking about it on our feed. Um, so people are sending us stories Uh, like 200 to 500 words of what they're going through during quarantine or um, an impactful event that happened in their life and how they've kind of maneuvered through it in their adulthood. Um, We're posting those all this week. So our first one was by a young woman named Brittany, whose grandmother passed away from coronavirus. And she talks about how she was like super nonchalant about the virus at first. You know, people overreacting. We'll all be fine. And then tragedy struck her own family and it kind of changed her outlook on the virus. Um, we have someone talking about her mental struggle during coronavirus, but we're also pivoting away from that too. And we have people talking about um, being a mom and care in the hospital. Um, and we also have a guy 
that's going to be sharing his story with us. So that'll be a nice um, switch up in the middle of it. Um, but if you like what you see, I mean, visit our hashtag is diary hash. Uh, I'm sorry, it's hashtag diary of the culture. And we would love to get your stories as well. Yes. So excited about that. If you guys follow Human of New York, which is one of my favorite blogs and Instagram page to follow, because that just resonates so much with every single story, no matter who's telling the story. So Jordan and I both enjoy that. So we just wanted to give our culture, our circle, our our tribe, you know, an opportunity to share their stories. And, you know, if you guys like it, maybe we could do this like something we incorporate all the time, maybe weekly, biweekly. Because reading these stories, you realize that you have so much more in common with people than you think. And some of the little things that you go through, a lot of other people are going through. So it's just another way that you can, you know, move through things, especially during COVID-19 right now. We're just all trying to stay strong during a very uncertain time. Yeah. And just trying to get through it the best way we know how to. So if we can share those stories in the meantime, um, and you can see yourself in these stories, we've done our jobs. Um, so, you know, as we've been saying every episode, we're filming from the comfort of our own living rooms because of coronavirus and, you know, not trying to expose ourselves to people and things. Um, and the South has decided that it's going to start opening up its salons and opening up uh, its businesses even though in some places cases are still on the rise. And I'm super conflicted by this because I do understand that people need to make money. Like I get it. Like if I lost my job today, I would be freaking out because, you know, I have bills to pay. I have rent to pay. I have life to live and it can't happen um, effectively if I don't have money. Um, But it's also you know, I feel it's the government's job to take care of its people. I mean, people pay taxes. We pay state taxes. We pay federal taxes. There should be a system in place to handle um, these situations when the country has to shut down due to a virus that's like killing people off. But unfortunately, Trump fired all those people as soon as he got into office. So of course, when tragedy struck, um, there were no processes and we're left where we are. Um, so like I said, for I mean, this is my personal opinion. It just freaks me out that, um, you know, there are white people protesting like this is slavery. Be, and there's a woman saying, you know, I've been in the house for a month. I need to get my hair colored. Like, girl, you can buy a box of hair coloring. We can, all these black people are figuring out how to cut our own hair and do our own nails and wax our own eyebrows. And there's people complaining about not being able to get a haircut. What the bigger complaint should be, in my opinion, is where the fuck is the government's help? $1,200 is not covering people's bills when you've been out of work for six or eight weeks. Like, it's not happening. So I just think, I feel like white people, those white people in the South have a very convoluted, misdirected anger. And I get being angry because we need money. But I don't think saying open the shit up for salons is the thing to do. What's your opinion? What's your take? Um... To your point, I understand the feeling of being out of a job because I, you know, I was a freelancer, but I was actually consulting for like a client really consistently from like February to March and it was really starting to pick up. So I was kind of furloughed from that. And people, there's, your bills don't stop. If the government was like, hey, y'all, we're going to put a pause on bills. We're going to put a pause on everything. And the world is kind of just at a pause. 
it would be easy to be in the situation, but just being in a situation where you still have to pay bills, you still have to do the things that you are scheduled to do. And even if you get, um, even if you're able to like uh, push them off for about like three months, you still have to have that back pay. Like it just makes your, your loan longer. It just makes your amounts still the same. So you still need that income. But the whole protesting thing, we're not here for that. Okay, it makes no sense. Um, I don't know any specific person that brought coronavirus here or who invented coronavirus. I, I don't even know how much I believe that, that what they're saying that it's even from China. Like, I really don't believe much. So I say all that to say, like, who are you really protesting? Like, what, what are you really out there protesting against or for? For you to go outside and do your nails and your hair? You tried it. Okay. I feel like I feel like the crazy part to me is I feel like we're going to talk about this actually later in our episode we're going to touch on this theme but like the the ownership that white people feel like some white people feel like they have over everything just astonishes me because they feel like they should be out like you're protesting the wrong thing yeah. You're, you're saying give me my job that's low paying and not to say all the jobs are but you're saying like let me get back and be a hairstylist not saying hairstylists don't make money but we're speaking meta here you're saying let me go back to being a hairstylist or you're saying let me go back and get my hair done and you're not saying government where's our money in a time of global pandemic you're not saying government where is your responsibility in stopping mortgage payments for three months you're not saying, government, why aren't you stepping in to take care of our old people? You know? People right. are people get then, comfortable with this little $1,200 check that didn't last three days. Like, let's be real. Once you pay your bills, $1,200 didn't cover my rent. Yeah. So we're talking about the wrong things here, I think. Well, they are. 100%. And then you, you also have to think about the fact that coronavirus is still here. The reason they're telling your ass to stay inside is because they don't want you to die. They don't want you to get sick or they don't want you to infect someone else. So yeah, we're all tired of staying inside. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder, especially as the weather continues to get nicer. But it's just like, it's something way bigger than us. I also want to say, even though this is kind of to the left, we're, we're looking to a lot of people for answers, okay? You're looking to the wrong person. I don't know if you guys believe in God or not, but you got to look to God because Donald Trump is not going to tell us anything that we really don't already know and to be honest he was the one who told us we had nothing to worry about and so i wouldn't fire the people with the answers remember he's trying to fire fauci like right so you know he's also disregarding science and telling people to drink bleach so you're looking to the wrong person for the answers <laughs> i would say in this time of uncertainty use this time if you're not sick or if you're not affected Instead of protesting, use this time to work on yourself because clearly there's something convoluted going on within you. And you, you, you're going to have to own, the only way you can get it out is probably by prayer. So I would really just say focus on that and just let, just ride it out. China was in quarantine for 72 days, 73 days. So that's about two months and two weeks. We're only a month and a week in. Let's just ride it out. Let's see what it's like because if China can go back to normal, so can we. And the best way to get there is if we all just kind of just stay inside. Now, I would be a hypocrite if I said I haven't been outside. I've been outside, but only for essential things. But as soon as this, you know, blows away and we're back to semi-normal, I will be outside and I'm sure everyone else would be. And we'll enjoy it so much more when we don't have to wear a mask and we 
We aren't having to wear gloves and we aren't feeling like gross when we're around people. We just want it to be feel and, you know, be kind of like what it was before all of this, which it may never be. Yeah. So sad. But yeah. On a lighter note, Kanye West is a billionaire. Yes. So Kanye West was basically, I wouldn't even say broke because are rich people ever broke? Not really. But he was estimated at a really low amount um, about four years ago. And he was like reaching out to people to invest in his brand and really build out his brand. And remember, he was making all these rants and going crazy and everyone was like, Kanye's losing it. Right. So he was actually estimated at $3 by Forbes. And then he wrote them and actually said, it's actually $3.3 And I just want to say we love to see it. You know, despite everything with Kanye, he he bet on himself. He knew he wanted to create this brand. He believed in his brand. And look at it now. Okay, the shoes are really like maybe like 200, 250. But if you don't catch it when they first drop it, you're looking at upwards of five, six, seven hundred dollars for a pair of shoes. Um, His clothing line, all that thing. So he's clearly doing something right. And I took this as... Let me just continue to do what I'm doing. May, even though the vision may look small right now or some may not believe in it. If you stay focused, you could pull a Kanye. Period. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Let's just be completely honest. Put our heads down and do the works. So we can make the money. Exactly. All right. So our affirmation this week is it's okay if peace looks different day to day. And that's by Morgan Harper Nichols. You can find her on Instagram at Morgan Harper Nichols, I believe. We'll tag her, obviously, in this episode announcement. But um, I like this quote because I think it speaks so true to like my day to day life right now. Like sometimes I'm perfectly fine and happy and it's like working from home is great. Zoom calls are great. And then there are days where I'm like, yeah, I can't take another fucking Zoom call. And actually working from home is shitty because I can't go to the coffee shops or I can't go out and like see people and do stuff. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's like really hard to get through it. And you have to catch like little pockets of peace instead of your whole day being peaceful and zen. Um, So I think it's important to recognize that like some days you will not be happy and peaceful all day. You may start off with a little bit of peace and then a day declines. And that's okay because we're really trying to survive during a pandemic. Sometimes your day will be, you know, shitty in the morning and the rest of the day is great. And, you you know, don't discount the fact that it ended on a high note. And peace doesn't always look like being happy and like rainbows and butterflies all day because that's not realistic right now. And I I really don't think it's realistic ever for some people. Um, But as long as you're finding ways to like, express yourself healthily and you have people who love you and you can talk to, um, then we'll be okay. Yes. You got to protect your peace, y'all. Peace is so important. And for me, I think I put it on a, I saw a meme that said, my peace is non-negotiable. And I a thousand percent agree I was in some situations that was taken away from my peace and all that I've learned from that, despite how much money I made, despite uh, how financially beneficial it may have been, it deteriorated my peace. It Mm -hmm. deteriorated like my mindset and it's honestly not worth it. And it's just a non-negotiable for me. I have no problem turning down things that do not 
result in a peaceful um, place for me. I have no problem doing that now because the older I get, I just realize that you just can't put a price on peace. You just can't, you can't, you can't just do things anymore that take away from, you know, who you are. And I'm just way past it. So I 100% agree that, you know, peace looks different day to day. And if you put peace as a priority, if you put your mindset, your mental health, your, your physical health, your spiritual health as a priority, um, people won't ask you to negotiate about that shit any longer, you know, mm-hmm. period. Like, that's just what it is. I'm not dealing with things that don't affect me in a positive light. And I have to, I have to do that day to day. I have to tell myself that day to day because it, it didn't come natural. And sometimes I saw dollar signs before I saw happiness. And now I don't because money don't mean shit if you're not happy on the inside. Okay. Period. Um, Our unbossed this week. This is someone we're super excited to talk about. So um, our good sis, Charday. And if you've been on any of our trips, any of our last two trips, no, I've Anyhow, if you've been on a guys culture retreat and Sade has been there, you know what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Sade has recently been dubbed a yoga instructor officially, as in she's certified and insured. Um, she is somebody that we met in 2016, and she has been just a light in our lives since. Um, Sade is an instructor um, on our our getaways and our New York girls um, ladies had a chance to witness her most recently and absolutely fell in love with her. Um, Charday is talented. The girl knows what, how to guide people through yoga without making you feel clumsy or making you feel less than or making you feel like, you know, if you've never done this before, then yoga is not for you. She's so inclusive. She's so sweet. And yeah. She will be teaching classes through Goddess Culture. Yes, we're so excited for you, Charday. Congratulations. This has been watching you do this journey. I can remember you saying you were going to do it in Puerto Rico. And then just watching it come to fruition has just been amazing. You are honestly so deserving. I've done yoga with her multiple times. Um, I've done breathing exercises with her. I've done so many things. And she's just a patient, kind individual. So it translates into the classes and you know Jordan and I would not support someone that we did not believe in Mm -hmm. you know she's basically our resident yoga instructor for all things yoga all things Mm -hmm. breathing all things wellness so we're so appreciative for her you guys have no idea how much she's done for us on a on any level honestly because she's been there for us in multiple ways and always shows up and always does everything we need and we're so appreciative for her we're so excited and yes like Jordan mentioned we're about to drop an amazing event that's going to be you know curated completely by her and we we're just so excited to just be along on her journey and if you're looking for a yoga instructor and you're in the North Jersey area I know she also has some classes in New York as well um definitely follow her her Instagram is Charday Light which makes sense because she is honestly a light and yeah, we're so excited. Um, and Charde, congratulations. This is huge. And we're so excited for you. If there's any comment on, I can, on her character that I can say before we move on to the next piece is that, you know how it's like always really a, like a tense moment when you mix friends, friend groups because you don't know how everybody will take each other. 
Um, she first came, our first trip that, I'm sorry, the first trip that she came on was Puerto Rico. And I had friends from my hometown coming. And not that I thought it would be a bad mix, but, you know, the, the friend groups are just so different. And when they met, instant friends. I mean, to this day, Sade still is in contact with my friends in Ohio. And it's been, when was, when was Puerto Rico? 2018? 2019. January 2019. Yeah. It's April 2020, you know? And it's not like, a, oh, you know, we forced. We were friends, you know, for a hot second or we were cool for a hot second. But it's like, no, they still comment on each other's stuff, DM each other. Like, it's the cutest thing. Love it. Now is a chance for us to let you know that if you have not watched Little Fires Everywhere and you want to, you better turn us off. You better yeah, push pause, head to Hulu, go watch it because there are spoiler alerts all up and through this next segment of the podcast. Don't say we didn't warn you because we warned you. So today we're going to talk about some of the themes in the show, how we relate them to our own personal lives. We're going to unpack our own opinions about what happened with these themes on the um, actual show, up first is mother-daughter relationships. Dun, dun, dun. A huge dynamic, the entire, the entire series. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's start with, who were we introduced to first in the show? I forget. Um, is it Mia and Pearl? Yeah, I think it was Mia and Pearl. But if you got remember, Jordan mentioned it. If you have not watched the show, stop at this point because we are about to dive deep into a lot of things that happen all throughout the season because we completed the season last week. Mm-hmm. And I love Little Fires Everywhere. Let me just start with that. I saw the I saw the first couple episodes, maybe like when it first aired, I think I saw it when it first aired and I was kind of just like, I love Reese Witherspoon. So anything that she's in, I'm watching. Right. Legally Blonde, every show, whatever she does, I'm there because I really love her, her like characters. And then Kerry Washington is a given, minus the face, but we love to support, <laughs> we love to support um, our people. You feel me? Right. So in the show, there's a lot of there's a lot of different relationships surrounding mother-daughter relationship. There's Mei Ling and Bibi, which is um, the baby and the, the mother who was working at the Chinese restaurant. I believe she was Viet- Vietnamese. Uh, there was Mia and Pearl, which is the main characters. And then Elena, and she has two daughters, which are Lizzie and Lexi. So whew, where do we even start? Um, Mia and Pearl. I think their relationship for the most part was extremely healthy in the beginning. You know, I feel like they had a really good understanding of what their situation is. And honestly, the first couple episodes, I could have seen myself in a lot of Pearl. Um, I obviously, you guys know, I didn't grow up rich. I didn't grow up with a bunch of stuff. I grew up in the hood. I always tell y'all that. So you, when you grow up like that, you... And I could, I, I, I understand Pearl a little bit more because when you grow up like that, like you don't have a need for things that like other people have needs for things. And I mean that in the sense of like, I could have, there's so many things that I could have wanted or thing, but those were never on the forefront of my mind. Like the most important things were like to, to eat a meal or to like, yeah, what you make, yeah to make sure you have what you needed. I never felt 
I never felt like, oh my God, I need a new pair of sneakers or I need a new bag or I need a car or I need all these things. I never, I, I didn't feel like that. Like, I just felt like, you know, we have enough. Like we're, we're making it, we're doing, we're doing well. And it's crazy to watch their relationship grow throughout the episode because once she finds out that her mother, you know, was sitting on money, she felt betrayed. And I thought to myself, like, how would I feel if I was pretending to be broke? You know, how would I feel if I always could have had a stable situation, but instead uh, she chose to live this lifestyle for me? Yeah. And I feel like sometimes with mothers, especially, they take a lot of the decision making away from you because they assume that they know what's best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mia took a lot of that away from Pearl. She took away her opportunity to meet her father. She took away an opportunity to meet her grandparents. They, she took away so many things because she thought she knew what was best. And I feel like, I feel like we've said this before, but so many times people deflect their own insecurities onto you, you know, and especially with mothers that sometimes they're so afraid for you to be hurt or to feel what they felt or to have that scarring relationship with someone because me and her parents you know she was kind of disowned she was afraid that you know that would be the same relationship for Pearl and I feel like sometimes when parents and their parents don't get along like your grandparents you get along with your grandparents even better it's like a weird dynamic mm -hmm. I don't know I think this series one thing I would well I think the series glazed over the fact that Mia kind of stole Pearl I think I think we're like not us, but like, I think the, the series didn't put enough emphasis, which is why I bought the book to read and it's on its way. Um, was that, you know, like I said, spoiler alert, but Pearl is a result of a surrogacy. Um, there was a couple in the series that wanted to have a baby, but couldn't. And they were searching for a surrogate who looked like the mother. And that's a very vulnerable thing because you're trusting someone to like carry your baby for you. And I can only imagine people who want to have children who are unable and you know that surrogacy is the last resort. It's the last thing they want to do. Um, so she was, you know, the original mom was very vulnerable. And I understand also connecting with a baby that's moving and growing and living inside of you, you know. But I think it was irresponsible of Mia to say, well, this baby feels like it's mine. I'm going to lie and say it died and I'm going to raise it on my own, which is why we have this like kind of secretive, as Shanice was saying earlier, like secretive relationship between Mia and Pearl and Pearl not knowing that Mia actually was sitting on money, but that's not the only secret. You know, we come to find out there is a much more intricate web of secrets being told um, or being held in their relationship. But it does come off as healthy at first. It comes off as a mother giving her daughter what she needs and making do. But then we realize they didn't just have to make do. Right. She made her a bike when she wanted a bike. She made her, you know, gave her a room when she wanted a room. But I just feel like when it translates over into real life, sometimes mothers try to keep things a secret because they think they're doing a service when in fact they're actually doing a disservice. Yeah. Trying to protect their kids. Yeah, like you're trying to protect your child, which is understandable, but at the same time, you're you're kind of holding your child back from opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I, I 
I can I can get the idea of her un- feeling like that baby was hers. First of all, she was too young to even offer up to to be a surrogate. She yeah. never even had sex yeah. for the first time before she she get, decided to do this. And then, you know, she was in a tight space and if there's anything I've learned is do not make decisions for your future when you're looking at your finances in the moment because you're going to look well when you're in a, a hard place or you're having to give up too much because she she needed the money so bad that she was willing to do almost anything. Mm-hmm. And because of that, she in turn was willing to give up her child. And I feel like had she not been in the space of needing the money right this second, yeah, yeah she would not have decided to give up her child. And I, I feel for the, the, the surrogate, the parents as well, the parents that, you know, gave her the opportunity to carry their child because they were really expecting that they would be, you know, having their first child. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, it was just sad all around, but to the, to Reese Witherspoon and her children that were in this, in the show. So Elena, Lizzie, Lizzie, Izzy and Lexi. Oh, it is, isn't it? It sure is. (laughs) I was like, Lizzie sounds like Lizzie McGuire, but it's definitely. (laughs) And she was calling her Isabel. I can understand the dynamic a little bit with, Elena and Izzy because although your child came from you it's still a human and its own person so you may not like all the things that your child like like they will not all be in your image you know they're going to be in their own image does that give her the right to treat her so you know does that give her the the right to to tell her what she told her, she actually told her that she regretted having her because in the show, she she didn't want a fourth child and she just ended up pregnant. And she was at like the peak of her career and like really about to dive into becoming a journalist. And she decided to have the fourth child only because, you know, she got pregnant and it kind of just, you know, flatlined her career. And I feel like she kind of resented Izzy for that throughout the whole show. Yeah, I think I think that's the main topic between Elena and Izzy because like there is a lot of defiance and stuff going on but it's because Lizzie could feel like you know babies can feel in the womb if they're unwanted right from the 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 moment that she found out she was pregnant I mean she was going to get her tubes tied and then in the process of getting her tubes tied the doctor tells her you're pregnant and Elena comes home and is distraught okay having a baby is the last thing she wanted to do she just got back to work after having three kids and it was just a crazy situation. And Elena's Elena being upset kind of shaped her relationship with her daughter, which is kind of like fucked up because, you know, Izzy didn't ask to be born. And I think a lot of parents forget that, that we don't opt in to being born. You know, y'all have sex and here we are. So it's not right. really my fault that I'm alive. It's really yours. Um, and you kind of have to live with those consequences. I mean, Every every action, whether we want to believe it or not, every action has a consequence. Even good actions come with consequence. And, you know, having a baby was a consequence of them having sex right after she had a baby. You're, you're, you're your most fertile right after you have a baby, too. So I think it was an unfair dynamic because I don't think ever not once did Elena try to like understand her daughter because her relationship with her daughter was so wrapped up in resentment on the opposite end of that her relationship with Lexi was like she was trying to live vicariously through her 
She wanted her daughter to be so perfect and have all these opportunities because I think secretly she wanted to be able to like go away to college and do the things and be so perfect. And like her life didn't turn out as perfectly. So she was living vicariously through Lexi, which put her under so much stress. Which is so common in real life. So many parents do that. They like expect greatness. I swear my parents expect the greatest. Like they want, you know, the moon, the stars and the sun. And they don't realize, like, even if they say it in a joke, or even if they mention it ever so often, like that thought stays with you. Like, all right, I know I'll be a disappointment if I don't complete this. And I don't have a kid. So I don't really know from the mother's perspective, but from the daughter's perspective, um, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to feel like, you know, you're not living up to a certain standard that someone who brought you into this world has set for you. Yeah. And I think it's easier said than done to to just, um, you know, want to live your life the way you want to live your life. But unfortunately, not unfortunately, but depending on who your parents are, we have, they have standards for us. They have requirements. Like college was not an option for me. Like it was college or college. Like those were my two options and it was the same thing. So you see, I, I just always knew that I didn't have an option, but that also in turn pushed me to go to college. I don't know where I would have been. I don't, I don't even know if I knew what I wanted to do my first year of college. I don't think so. I think my major was like economics. I don't know shit about economics. So had I not had that standard from my, from my parents and from my mom, like that college was the way I probably, I don't know where I would have been. On the flip side, she keeps asking me, would you go to law school? You said you wanted to be a lawyer. I'm like, sis, I'm in marketing. I enjoy marketing. This is where I am. This is what I want to do. And she just won't let it go. She's like, if I pay for you to go to law school, would you go? I'm like, it's not about the money. It's about the happiness. Like, it's about where I want to, what I want to see for my life right now. So I don't know. It really depends. How about you? Um... You know, I, I think to your point, like like you were saying, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it's, I think, or not a double-edged sword, I think it's a fine line between like your mother or your parents wanting the best for you and your parents like trying to live their life through you. Right. You know? And I know like we all, our parents do the best with what they have. Like, and that's something I'll always remember. Like our parents can only give us what they had. And, you know, it's, depending on the situation, we just kind of have to like understand where they're coming from. However, I think that wrong is wrong and right is right. And when you push your kids in a way that they're unable to handle and they crack, it's not their fault. Um, I've been, I I would say I've been very fortunate to have a mom who was like, honestly, I, I had a mom who was like strict and like I had to make certain grades and I had to be involved in the extracurricular activities and I had to be polite and I had to take care of my, help take care of my grandparents and like you know, it had to be respectful and, and all of that. But my mom was never one of those moms that like pushed me over the edge. My mom was one of those moms that was like, anything you want to be, you can be. You just got to try your best. Like I wanted to dance. My mom signed me up for the classes and paid for everything. I wanted to go to college and me and my mom were really close. And she was like, I will let you go so that you can leave the state and go to, you know, New Jersey to go to college. I wanted to say, and I mean, I wanted to come back home my first two years and then my junior year hit and I didn't want to come back home anymore. 
And I had the hardest time trying to tell my mom I'm not moving home. And my mom was like, if that's what makes you happy, if that's what you need, I'd rather see you happy. We can visit each other. So I've always had a mom who was like, as long as you're not out here like doing some dumb shit or putting yourself in harm's way, then you got to do what makes you happy because one, and I hate to say it, but like, you know, our parents won't be here forever. And if we're not okay, if we don't know how to function without somebody always directing our lives, you got a bigger issue, you know? So yeah, that's my relationship with my mom. She's just one of those people that's like, be responsible and make yourself happy. And if that's what you're doing, then, hey, who is she to judge? Right. Uh, I think a relationship with your mom is so important. I think a healthy relationship with your mom isn't very important. My mom is literally my best friend. I talk to her more than I talk to anybody else, honestly, and we live together. So there's that. And then on top of that, she's someone I could turn to and literally always has my back. Like, even when I'm wrong, she'll tell me like I'm wrong, but later, you know, but in the moment, she'll always have my back. And I just think, you know, when you when you watch the show, you see that Pearl and Mia, you know, they end up working it out despite everything. And that just shows you that a strong foundation for your relationship with your mother is going to be so important. Now, this isn't, you know, some people have, you know, parents that, you know, they can't depend on or, or parent situations that they, you know, aren't, aren't healthy or, you know, this isn't to tell you to go reach out to your mom. If you feel like, you know, you're not talking to her or you're not dealing with something with her because of the way she does things or anything like that, that's fine. I'm just saying, you know, from my own personal opinion, I think the relationship with my mom has translated in all my relationships, the way that we have a friendship, we have a a spiritual connection, we have a emotional connection. You know, I came from her womb, you know, we we're connected in jokes. Like we just have like a abnormal connection that is really important for me in my life. I couldn't imagine like when you said they won't be here forever, I can't imagine her not being here forever. Yeah. Like I just, I can't. And I just, I just think it's very important to have like a healthy mother-daughter relationship. And it wasn't always here. Like it, it didn't always get to this point. Like it took a lot of work to get to this healthy stage where we're now friends and we could coexist and we understand each other and we have a bond. Like this isn't something that we just created over time. This is something that, you know, we really built and worked on. So I just, I just think, you know, if you have the opportunity to like work on something or if it's not that big of a deal and you could just reach out to your mom, uh, you know, do that. See, see where, see where that gets you. See, see what you can do. You know, you could always say you tried. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, you know, have the opportunity, if your mom has passed away, you know, See if you can have that bond with someone else because it's so important to have a judgment-free person that you can always turn to. And sometimes you don't have that in friends or sometimes, you know, your dad may not understand. The bond of a mother and a daughter is just so significant and so important. Yeah. And my heart goes out to all the people who don't and will never have the opportunity to have that relationship with their mothers. I mean, I know my mom and her siblings don't. Um, And like I said before, like, in some regard, our parents are going through things that we're unable to truly understand. Some things I'll never be able to get over. Some things I'll never be able to work through. And, you know, for those of you who have parents who, or have a mother who um, 
you know, you can't get there with, like I said, I'm sending you my love because I know what that looks like in person and I know how that impacts your life forever. So um, now we're going to shift gears to the next theme, which is classism. And we're going to talk about Elena and how she, um, how her like interaction with the other characters in this show personally had me fucked up because I feel like, and I don't know if it's a metaphor in this show, I don't know if it's supposed to be, but there's a general sense of like ownership and um, responsi- not responsibility, but what's the word I'm looking for? Like ownership and then like Elena and people like her in With that ta- Obliviousness. Like an oblivious thing, like everything revolves around them. Yeah, and they're so like shocked. So shocked. Them out on it. So shocked. To me, I think the first thing was when Elena walked up to Mia and was like, basically, you can be my maid. Right, my cle- my housekeeper. And I'm like, first of all, did she put out a fucking ad? Did she have right. maid, Molly maid written across her forehead? Like, what no. made you think I like to clean shit? Okay. No. It, honestly. And, you know, initially... Mia turns it down. And I think the only reason she took it was really to keep an eye on Elena and her family and see what type of people her daughter's around, her daughter's like getting close to, which I could understand, especially as a single mom who's super protective of her child in the first place. But what did you think about the whole situation and how Elena was trying to get close to Pearl? What was your opinion on that? Oh, I'm so biased because I love Reese Witherspoon. So I'm just going to try to put that to the side and pretend this is just a normal, regular character. Um, Elena has the same issues that a lot of, okay, let's just be real. A lot of white women have, you know, they they played a role for so long of being oblivious to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think, and uh, this is all for the show. You know, I'm really, this all relates to the little fires everywhere on Hulu. So don't take this out of context, but I feel like everyone on that show kind of, you know, they just, they just look at people and think one thing. So she looked at Mia and she saw her in the car um, in a parking lot. And she actually called the cops on her in the show thinking it was like a homeless woman or something. And she automatically prejudged her. So at that moment in her head, she saw a poor black woman. Not once did Mia say, I'm poor, help me out. Not once. But because the white women in this show had, they have a preconceived notion that, you know, once they see black women, they automatically assume poor. Mm -hmm. Once they see that her car was broken down, they assume she may not have a job. And leading to her offering her a job, like all of these things that no one ever told her to do. Mm-hmm. You know, no one ever, no, no one ever mentioned these things about themselves, but she automatically took it upon herself to assume that these were issues that she may have been facing. Mm-hmm. Turns out Mia had a, a picture that was worth $400,000 in her possession. So she was never really poor. You know, she may not want a new car. She didn't want a new car because that was her brother's car and her brother passed away and it meant a lot to her. Mm-hmm. She traveled around because she was an artist and if you know anybody who's an artist, you know that they typically travel around to different places to find inspiration. 
They're on so the, gig, all, the gig circuit. They don't necessarily work day jobs where they sit down somewhere for eight hours a day. Exactly. Being a creative, I can relate 100%. Some days I'm working the night shift. Some days I'm working the day shift. I can switch my schedule, however, because, you know, creativity can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. So because of someone like Mia, and this could relate to any facet of life, people make assumptions on people's lives that they know nothing about. And Mia isn't my favorite character by any means, because I, I really can't, I could not get over that face at all. <laughs> a lot of the time, a lot of the time, but I can, I can understand to her, like her point. When I moved to New Jersey um, and I went to that school, like, I swear everyone thought I was poor. Like, literally, I went to an all-white school, and you could see on their face, like, they thought I was poor. Like, I used to take my sister everywhere with me. Like, we didn't have a babysitter. Like, I was the babysitter. Like, but these aren't things that, that labeled me poor. These are things that labeled us as, you know, this is how my family are. If you're, if you're from, if anyone's from their family, the oldest sibling usually watches the younger sibling. Did we that's not just how these kids? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just how it is. And I'm also, you know, an immigrant. So my parents aren't big on getting a nanny or like anything like that. It's usually like a grandma or an aunt or a family friend. It's never like someone that we got online. And a lot of the people here, that's what they were used to, their nannies picking them up and stuff like that. So because they didn't see that in me, they assumed that I was lesser than them. Like they assumed that, you know, I was wearing Air Force Ones and regular skinny jeans and regular outfits, but because they saw me walking home from school or because they didn't see my nanny picking me up or something like that, they assumed that I was of a different class. And and this happens so, so often. Like, it's so disturbing to always feel like you have to pretend to be something in order for people to feel like, oh, okay, she's she's an, of our class or she's here because of, you know, her parents make enough money or whatever the situation is. She isn't living in a rental compared to a owning, owning her home. Like, so many people make assumptions on your life. Mm-hmm. And we... As black women, we have to fight this off all the time. Like, I feel like I have to, I, I have like a, I have to like, I have to present myself a certain way. I have to talk a certain way. I have to, to get half as much. I have to be super early for the meetings. I have to uh, send emails for follow-ups. Like, I have to do more than what normal people have to do just to get half the respect that everyone else gets. And I feel like, classism ain't shit once once I get rich it's y'all not even gonna know I'm rich okay y'all gonna think I'm poor because clearly clearly when you when you get rich you get a big head and you you start losing you start losing shit like losing your sense of being humble and you know where you came from and stuff like that so I just I just I just hate it I can't I think what we see here is a classic case of like white savior syndrome and I say that as like, if you're going to be offended by any of the terms that we're saying, then you're not understanding the root of them and you're not understanding the significance. You're just getting caught up in semantics. I just want to say that. But as somebody who's been a victim, I would say of like white savior syndrome, it's a classic case. I um, started going to a private, all white private school in an affluent neighborhood in the fifth grade. Um, no, my family could not afford to live there. I was on scholarship from fifth grade till I graduated. Um, 
there were not a lot of girls who looked like me. And there were teachers and there were parents who jumped at the opportunity to um, help the poor girl. I'm not saying poor as in we didn't have. I mean, I always had. Uniforms was, you know, pristine. Hair was always done. Always had my books and what have you. But no, I was not one of those girls whose family had yachts. I was not one of those girls whose family had lake houses and took their entire families on vacations. That's not the type of lifestyle I lived. But there are people, administrators, teachers, parents who, you know, saw me and were like, let me get in good or let me do something for her and her family so that we look good because we're helping this young black girl in this school of people who don't look like her. And I fucking hated it. Like, there's no way to put it. There's no way to like nice it up. There's no way. Um, because one, my family wasn't poor. Like we didn't live and it's, you know, it's like, this is not downplaying anybody's situation, but we had a place to live. We had a car to get where we had to go. I had food on the table every single day in extracurriculars, brothers were taken care of. Like, it's not one of those situations where we didn't have, it's just that we didn't have as much as they had. And they feel like if you didn't have what they had, you're lesser than. And of course, like white liberals try to make it seem like, oh, you know, we're not looking at you any different, but when you try to act like it's an act of charity, or like, I'm gonna give you an example. Got to the school and I remember somebody saying, a teacher saying something along the lines of like, it's so, fantastic that a, a girl like you who came from the school you came from is here and is doing so well. I'm like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Anybody from the school that I went to before could flourish here if given the opportunity. It's just right. that I just so happen to have an opportunity to get here. So like, don't act like I couldn't be just as good without you coming and telling me how great I am. It's not fair. And I feel like Elena's relationship with Pearl was just that. Like your mom can't give you this stuff so you can get loved here. You can be appreciated here. You know, right. I, I, right. that I totally didn't like, and it made me uncomfortable because, you know, it was, I never experienced it to that extent, but I certainly did not like the feeling when people looked at me as like the black girl who wasn't rich, who, you know, could use a little extra something or, or whose parents were like rubbing up on, not physically, but like trying to like big me up like, good job. You just do so well, bitch. I do not need you telling me I do so well because I'm black and came from a public school before I got here. Right. There's a difference between people who genuinely want to help. Like there is a lot of women, white women, uh, any race women who, you know, genuinely honestly want to just like help or maybe do something for you that's coming from a good place. And I think sometimes it's noticing the difference. There's people who do things for you and they know you're in a tough place and they know your situation. And it's like, it's just, it's just what it is. It's not a moment for them to brag on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes like white savior syndrome where they feel like they saved you and they feel entitled to you. Like, Oh, I did that to build this girl mm -hmm. where she is. And I feel like that's where it becomes a problem. Especially that, when you assume before you know that you need to help anybody, you know? Right. Except, especially when you assume because that was my thing. Like, did nobody fucking ask for your help or like, it's not like I needed you to come do this. You stepped in because you felt like you wanted to, to like pat yourself on the back. Like no one asked you to be here and do nothing. Right. Right. Literally no one asked you. And to relate it back to Elena, look how much damage it actually caused in her life, mm -hmm. you know, by assuming. Yeah. 
So I would just say, uh, I love how they use so many themes that relate to the world now. Rarely do I feel uncomfortable in situations now. I am so comfortable in myself um, that I just don't even let people get me there. Mm -hmm. I literally tweeted the other day, like, one day I'm wearing a blonde wig, the next day I'm wearing a black wig. Some days I have my, today I have my natural hair in some cornrows. Like, the next day I'm in a bun. Like, it just it just doesn't matter for me to assimilate anymore. Like it just doesn't. But like growing up as a young, you know, a young girl, like you feel a lot of pressure to, to be like them, to, to have the things that they have. And you know, in high school, what it's like, what it's like in middle school, like when everyone starts to get a new thing, like, or when everyone starts to get a car, you start to feel like, Oh, like I wish I could get a car or like, I need these things too. So it's, it's harder on young women. So if you do have a young woman in your life, you know, just, continue to, you know, look out for them and watch over them because sometimes these things can really eat you up on the inside. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you get older and you build a strong, you build your confidence up and you you realize that that shit don't even matter. None of that shit matters. Like, yeah, none of the material items that you have really matter. Like they really don't at all. Yeah. Um, what a show. Yeah, it was intense. And we kind of just like touched the tip of the iceberg with the two themes that we brought up today. But there's a lot of mess in that show, which is why I'm I'm reading or I'm about to start reading the book because I'm excited to get the, the little details that like made for TV misses, you know? Right. Um, 1010 would recommend, guys, if you want, download Hulu, do the free trial. Excuse me. Um, do the free trial and watch the show. Let us know your thoughts. There were so many different themes. Just remember that everything we talked about are our personal issues as well as, you know, situations we saw based on the story and relationship dynamics that we um, wanted to touch on that were, you know, important to us or related to our lives in any way. But whew, anything else you want to say about Little Fires Everywhere? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I think we gave that a, a nice chunk of the show. <laughs> Literally, it's the best show. I can't wait for you guys to watch it. But moving into Fresh Face, I'm so excited to tell you guys about this because I think I may have mentioned it before, but I never really dived really deep into it because I was still testing it out, like how it is for me. So I recently tried the AHA, um, the Ordinary 30% BHA, AHA um, peeling solution. And I would say I think it's great. Now, I say that it's great, but I also say that it may not be necessary. If you're not someone who's willing to do something consistently, you're not going to see any changes from this product. I've had the product for a month. I've done it weekly, but I've only done it three times. So I've done it three times throughout three weeks. And I would honestly say I haven't started seeing I didn't start seeing slight changes until like the last time I did it. And I would say also about it that it has like a smoothing thing that it does. So what the product says is it's a water-based exfoliating mask with alpha and beta hydroxy acids, which is, which it's like a, it's basically like a, a mini chemical peel. So it's great because if you want like a quick refresh of your face, 
it's amazing, but it's also a chemical. But I didn't, I didn't feel like it was super harsh. Like I felt like it was a really light chemical. So it was probably on the the lower scales of like how of the degrees of like a chemical um, exfoliant. But I would say the box test says literally in bold letters about four times, leave this mask only on for 10 minutes. Like do not leave it on for any longer than 10 minutes. It is bright red and you rub it on and it kind of smells like a, a chemical too. And you literally leave it on for only 10 minutes and then you wash it off and you have to do it on your skin when it's dry, but also clean. So I would say use the cleanser first, then use the peel then kind of wash it off. Do not tone after this chemical peel, okay? I don't know who needs to hear that, but do not do that. Um, but I did see a lot of great results after the three weeks, but I don't think it's a necessary product. I would say if you want a peel, maybe just go get a big, a, a real peel and just get like a large one and just get it over with. But if you're willing to be consistent and do it weekly and really track your progress, you will see smoother skin. Like, I feel like my skin is so much more smoother now. Um, I incorporate it with a bunch of different products. And it's also super affordable. I think it was like $10. And I got it from Sephora. But it's the Ordinary brand. So you can get it at Ulta or you can get it from the Ordinary itself. So, yeah, I would recommend it. But like I said, it's not necessary. But if you do try it, let me know what you thought. Um, definitely try it over a couple, over like a month and see the results. Take a before and after picture. I'm big on that. I have so many before pictures where I look crazy. And then the after pictures, I'm like, wow, I could see the changes because you don't notice it right away. But if you look at two side-by-side -side pictures, you're more likely to see the difference. Mm -hmm. so I would definitely recommend. Mm -hmm. I'm moving forward self-care this week. So I have incorporated exercising into my daily routine. Now I'm not going to sit up here and lie. Like I've been exercising every day since I decided I was going to exercise. That's a lie, but I've definitely picked up, you know, more of an intense routine. I have a couple IG people that I'm following as well as getting advice from my friends and family who work out insanely so I'm just trying to incorporate little things. I cannot go into this summer without a butt. Like, that just, it just, it won't make any sense. So I will squat every day if I have to. And I'm going to build a butt because I can't afford to buy one. And it's not here right now. So we're exercising and we're enjoying it. Good. How about you? Um, I've been getting up early. Well, trying to. There have been a few days where I didn't trust myself to get up early. But on the days where I actually go to sleep, because I have this weird thing where I stay up insanely late or don't go to sleep at all. But the days that I actually sleep um, or the nights that I actually sleep, the next day I've been getting up early to like pray, to make myself food, um, to journal and to not be like bombarded by people asking me to do shit. Like I'll intentionally not answer texts that I got at night. Like I'll wait until I'm ready to tap in because, you know, so often we wake up and roll over and see what's happening for the day. Or we wake right. up right before work starts and go from sleep to work. And it's like, you didn't even give your, your body a chance to like ease into the day. You jumped right into the de like demands. And mm. that shit is unhealthy. And when we're thinking about like being sad during quarantine, I can say that's probably a contributing factor that you're not giving yourself that buffer. So I've been giving myself that buffer and choosing like, y'all, I just want to also say real quick, 
it's okay to not answer the phone because you don't fucking want to answer the phone. Like, do not make people um, let make you feel like you owe it to them to answer right away. I'm not saying ignore your people. I'm not saying like cut people off. That's not what I'm saying. But you have the right to say, I'll get to the phone in 15 minutes. Or you have the right to say, hey, I'm really not feeling up to talking right now. I'll give you a call in a little bit. I'll call you back tomorrow. Or when your coworkers are hitting your phone at 930, you have a right to say, hey, I'm gonna jump in at 10 o'clock during normal work hours. Talk to you at 30. You know, like don't make people feel like that you owe them your fucking time. I'm saying the F word a lot this episode. I think I'm very passionate about the stuff we talked about today. But um, like don't make people feel like you're owed. They owe you. I mean, like that you owe them your time because you don't. People people been upset about you not texting them back and not calling them back and stuff like that. And I I get the worry and I get like the the feeling of abandonment. So it's okay to say like, you know, can't talk right now. Sorry. But like, don't make people, don't let people make you feel shitty for, for not running to your phone every time that you get a notification from them. It's just not healthy. I agree. Sometimes you got to take a break and put a pause and set a fucking boundary. Boundary. Yes, this was a long episode, but it was good. We did it for y'all. It was good. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, tune into our, our um, weekly post this week about Diaries of the Culture. We're really excited about that. We have some great stories to share, as well as... Don't forget that we also host getaways and we will be back on our shit in 2021. So you know what that means. We have a couple of things we're working on now. We can't, we're so excited to share with you guys because if there's anything we're going to do when this is all over, it's travel. Okay. And we want yep. y'all to come with us. Yep. Um, so make sure you sign up for our email list. This is the last thing. Um, sign up for our email list. It's in the link in our bio. If you sign up to our email list, you're the first to know about our trips. You're also the first to know about the cool things that we're doing online. Um, like our programming, you're the first to know. Um, you'll be the first to know about Sade's, uh yoga class and how to, how to be a part of the class and what day and time and everything. Um, so there are benefits to being in the know first. So that said... Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode and we will see you next time. See ya.